mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Is It Normal? The Pregnancy Podcast with me, Jessie Ware. This is a special episode about pregnancy loss. I know so far this series has focused on my pregnancy journey and different aspects of being pregnant and giving birth, but we felt it was incredibly important to do an episode about miscarriage as it happens so frequently. A little later in this episode, I'll be joined by my good friend, Alice Haig, who's going to tell us her story about her miscarriage. But first, I'm joined by consultant obstetrician, Tejal Amin, who specialises in early pregnancy and miscarriage. Thank you so much for joining us on Is It Normal? Thank you, Jessie, for having me. People that are listening to this episode may be potentially miscarrying as we speak, may be incredibly nervous about it, maybe their first pregnancy, all those people that are Googling constantly for signs of miscarriage. Could we please start with what are the causes of miscarriage? Is that too hard to explain because there are too many causes of miscarriage? So there are lots of risk factors that can increase your risk of having a miscarriage, which can then lead on to different causes as well. I mean, it is quite broad in terms of there are specific things for first trimester. There are other things for recurrent miscarriage that we then look into. And there's things for second trimester miscarriages as well. So I'm happy to go through each one of them. But what I could sort of say is that, you know, the most common cause for first trimester miscarriages is a sporadic chromosomal abnormality. It's not something that you can predict. It's not something that you can prevent. And it's probably something that you just that you don't know about at all. But the chance of that happening again is really low the next time round. So the chance of you conceiving, having another pregnancy are very, very good. So that's the most common reason why when people present to the early pregnancy unit and we diagnose a miscarriage, it's usually because of chromosome abnormality. There are other risk factors that we have in our lives that we can modify. So there are lifestyle modifications that do increase your risk of having a miscarriage. So things like smoking, alcohol intake during the pregnancy. Obviously drug taking, all of that can increase your risk of unfortunately having a miscarriage as well. And then, you know, a lot of the times there are things that you just can't change. And unfortunately age is one of them, Mm. Uh, you know, and it's heartbreaking that your risk of miscarriage goes up as we get older. So when you're in your twenties, the chance of having a miscarriage is about, you know, 11%. So it's low. Right. 
But as you get older with each decade of your life, it gets significantly higher. So those in their 40s have the highest chance of miscarriage. And we're sort of looking around 65, 70% of having a miscarriage at that sort of age. Do you have a percentage for the rate of second trimester miscarriages? That's far more rare, right? Yeah, definitely it is. Actually, the rate of a second trimester miscarriage is about 1% to 2%. So it's much lower than a first trimester miscarriage. And the causes for a second trimester miscarriage are slightly different to first trimester miscarriages. So, you know, things like age or underlying medical conditions, they all are still factors, but there are other factors that can also potentially lead to a second trimester miscarriages. So just briefly, sort of one of them is like cervical weakness. So if the cervix is a little bit weaker, so anyone who may have had treatment on their cervix for an abnormal smear test, so like mm. a let's procedure and things, they often will get referred to what's called a preterm birth clinic. So they can have cervical length monitoring. So they can just measure the lengths of the cervix throughout their pregnancy from, you know, usually starting from about 12 weeks onwards. You know, if it starts shortening, you see signs of it shortening, you can then intervene. But that is one of the sort of one of the risks. Another one that, you know, often people ask is about food poison. Will that lead to a miscarriage? So it's difficult because it depends on, you know, what the underlying cause for the food poisoning are. We know that there are certain foods in pregnancy that just you shouldn't be eating. So things like blue cheeses or unpasteurized cheese or Mm. unpasteurized dairy products, there's a higher risk of having a bacteria called listeria. So that can contribute to second trimester miscarriages as well. Also, same thing with like, you know, raw, uncooked meats. You can have various bugs in that called toxoplasmosis that can lead to a miscarriage as well. And also, you know, partially cooked or raw eggs, we will say avoid that as well because of the risk of salmonella. You know, some people may not know about the early pregnancy unit that much. They may have done a pregnancy test at home. They may have seen their GP. Can you explain what this area is and what you kind of you deal with in this um, unit and uh, in this area of the hospital? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the early pregnancy units that I work in are very sort of doctor and nurse led together. So we all work together as a big team in terms of looking after patients who are coming in. People might come in saying that they've had a bit of nausea, a bit of vomiting, they're a bit worried, so they come over to get checked out. You know, often we want to confirm that the pregnancy is in the right place, find out there's a reason why they're having nausea and vomiting in their pregnancy. So there's a twin pregnancy. There are other things that can cause sort of severe morning sickness, such as like molar pregnancies as well. So that's another reason why we'd want to do a scan to find out, make sure that that's not a potential cause for the um, for the nausea and vomiting. Other times, most, most commonly, we have women presenting either with a bit of pain, bleeding as well. And that can range anything between a spot of blood to quite heavy bleeding as well so we always you know we'll see people make sure we check them over make sure that they're well in themselves as well as well as assessing the pregnancy so they're the sort of things that we'll often see in our early pregnancy unit and let's talk about spotting and the difference between spotting and serious bleeding when should somebody be potentially coming into the early pregnancy unit what is classified as is more than spotting I mean because lots of people spot in their pregnancies, right? That's like implantation and yeah. that can be... So what signs are, are we looking for? So bleeding, I'll say, is quite a common occurrence. It can happen, but you shouldn't ignore it. Uh-huh. So if you have had, even if it's a bit of spotting, 
and you're worried about it, then, you know, we have early pregnancy units all across the country. So you can attend your local early pregnancy unit. Sometimes you have to call up first of all, because not all of them may be walk-in services. We have to be referred by your GP. So that's important just to be aware of what your local hospital may have, their policies may well be. But I think, you know, anytime that you have, even if it is a bit of spotting, if you haven't had a scan in the early pregnancy to confirm, first of all, that the pregnancy is in the right place, because that's really important. Mm. So, you know, you can get bleeding with a pregnancy that's not growing in the correct place. Is so, that an ectopic pregnancy? Exactly, exactly. So it's important not to ignore those sorts of symptoms. So one, it will give you hopefully reassurance that your pregnancy is in, the, is in the correct place and hopefully that it's progressing, you know, as it should be. But if it isn't, then at least you're sort of, you're in the services, you know, you'll be followed up, you have that support as well. So sort of going back to saying, you know, like what should you look out for? What's safe to ignore? I don't think it's ever safe to ignore any kind of bleeding really mm. ever, or even the pain. So which is why I think you should always get yourself checked out get your scan done as well, know that your pregnancy is in the right place. And then you'll always be given advice by the person who's seeing you. So, you know, they might say, look, there's there's a reason for your bleeding. You know, you might have what's called a, a hematoma. So it's like a small collection of blood that's next to the pregnancy inside the womb. That's just slowly discharging. So then, you know, at least then you know what to expect. You might continue bleeding. And if it then gets a lot heavier, that's a reason for you to go in and seek sort of medical advice. I'd also say that, you know, if you've got bleeding and it's making you feel unwell, always go in and, you know, come to the hospital so that we can check you over. Don't ignore these things. Is there anything you can do to prevent a miscarriage? Sadly not. Lots of different, you know, like research groups and things like that have, have really tried looking into that. Is there anything that we can do yeah. to try and prevent it? And unfortunately, at the moment, the answer is no. There are things that have shown that may help in pregnancy so actually like one of the things in the united kingdom that's happened is that our guidelines have changed very very recently in terms of um, offering women something called progesterone tablets so lots of our you know listeners may have heard about this and wondering you know whether they can and can't get it so at the moment the guidelines that have come from you know sort of much bigger bodies and things that we don't have control over at the moment have said that if you've had a previous miscarriage and then in this pregnancy you've got some bleeding and you've had a scan to confirm that the pregnancy is in the right place, you'll be offered progesterone support, so suppositories, up until about 16 weeks. Because there was a study that was performed a couple of years ago that showed in the recurrent miscarriage populations and the women who've had multiple pregnancy losses, that that may be a benefit. So that's one of the new things that's sort of coming out. But all the time, you know, doctors and scientists and everyone, we're all looking into sort of finding out, are there things that might help try and reduce mm -hmm. the risk? or try and prevent, but at the moment, there really isn't at the moment. Talking about multiple miscarriages there, why might some people be more prone to multiple miscarriages than others? You know, we've talked about age being a higher risk of miscarriage, but are there any other issues that could affect people that potentially are in, you know, 20s, 30s? Yeah, there are. So again, here in, in the United Kingdom, you know, we only really start investigating to find out if there's an underlying condition that's contributing to the recurrent pregnancy losses, the recurrent miscarriages. If you've had three or more, and they say consecutive as well, that's when you get referred to a specialist recurrent miscarriage clinic where they can do other tests to find out what's, what, you know, why that might be. So one of the causes for recurrent miscarriages is something called antiphospholipid syndrome. So it, 
it's got a long name, but what it basically means is that you're carrying certain antibodies in you that tend to make your blood more sticky, so you're more likely to clot, but you've also then had what we call an adverse pregnancy outcome, so something like the miscarriages, or you've had a baby where has been born very early on, so preterm birth, and also any sort of miscarriage after 10 weeks as well, so if you've had a late miscarriage too so these are all classified as, as adverse pregnancy outcomes and so that's actually something that can be treated you know with things like aspirin and heparin once you then fall pregnant so that's one of the potential causes another one is having what we call inherited thrombophilia so again so this is something that you know you may not know about or you might know about if you've had a say a clot in your lung or your leg before in the past mm. and again you know we can give medication to try and reduce your risk of clotting so that also may help as well and then one of the other things that we always do whenever we're performing ultrasound scans on any of our patients coming in is that we always check to see the shape of the womb so sometimes the shape of the womb can contribute to these recurrent pregnancy losses so there's different types of you know your, your womb can be also different types of shapes so there's something like a heart-shaped one where you know you've got a dimple going into it and that potentially can you know cause miscarriages whether treating it or not will improve your pregnancy outcome is something that is really debatable and there really isn't current enough evidence for at the moment for us to say that one is better than the other at the moment. So, I mean, these are the things that, you know, can definitely contribute to recurrent miscarriages. I wanted to know whether you had any statistics. I think, you know, potentially people that are listening to this may be on their first or second miscarriage and it's deeply upsetting and traumatic for them. But how common are miscarriages in people in those first 12 weeks? Have you got a stat for that? Yeah, so miscarriage generally, unfortunately, is really common. You know, sort of one in four women can have a miscarriage at any point in their reproductive life. So it is something that we deal with a lot. And it, you know, it is, it's heartbreaking. You know, every woman that comes in through the department, unfortunately, we're having to tell them that their pregnancy isn't continuing as it should be. It is, it's it's awful for us, it's awful for them. And, you know, we're always here to support someone through their journey and through their next journey as well. The chance of you though, having another miscarriage is not like 50% higher. It's not that at all. You know, the chance of you getting pregnant, having a normal pregnancy the next time around is very, very good. It's only when you have consecutive miscarriages, then that risk increases. But overall in the population, if we look at women who've had say one miscarriage, overall, it would be on average about 11%. Two miscarriages, it's about 2%. So those people who are having more than three miscarriages is less than 1% actually. So they count for a small number, but it's something that still unfortunately can happen. Can I ask you what support there is for people that are either facing their first miscarriage or or multiple? Because I presume that you probably do have support network for them there. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got your team that you go and see, you know, the nurses, the doctors, anyone that you see when you go into the early pregnancy unit, we're always going to be supporting you as well. But if you need extra support, there are other organisations that can definitely support. So within our hospitals, often we have bereavement teams as well. So depending on where in the pregnancy you may have lost the pregnancy at that stage, we have different bereavement teams that can come and support you as well. There are some 
fantastic charities out there who are doing some really, really good work. So just to sort of name some of them that mm. I'm familiar with and that I've worked with as well. So there's the Tommy's Miscarriage Trust as well. So they're, you know, they not only are doing research and um, looking into sort of different causes for pregnancy loss, but also they have a bereavement and support network as well that you're free to access. Um, they've got a fantastic, very easy to use website that you can go on. They'll have a bereavement midwife and a telephone number that you can call as well. Um, so that's one, one group. There's the Miscarriage Association as well. They have a lot of information um, and support as well that you, know, that you can go to. And there's another charity as well um, that I've worked with quite closely in one of the trusts that I used to work with called Cradle. So actually they provide bags that when you're in hospital, if you're having management for your miscarriage in hospital, they provide you with some toiletries and things like that, you know, just comforts mm. that you may have not thought to bring in or that you've run out or that you don't really want to go and ask someone to go and get for you. And also they do provide psychological support and counselling and they can help try and fast track you if you need that extra support as well. There are lots of different organisations out there. There's Relate as well. So people often say, you know, oh, I think that's only for, like say, couples counselling or something like that. They, they do provide counselling as well for anyone who's had a, a miscarriage or a pregnancy lost at any point because it's not just also having a miscarriage it's sometimes it's also the fact that you may have had a pregnancy but then just you couldn't see it so it was a pregnancy of unknown location that's still a pregnancy loss at the you know at the end of the day like you, it hasn't turned out the way you thought it was going to be and it's really important that you know if we need that help we need that support we try and access it and always talk to your you know to your doctor or your nurse that you're seeing because they'll be able to also help sort of either support you give you more information that may be of comfort to but also signpost other places that you may work for you as well. If somebody has been told at the early pregnancy unit that their pregnancy is non-viable sadly you are going to miscarry can you take our listeners through the next steps because I think that is something that potentially is quite a long process it can be so can you tell us kind of what a listener should expect what the kind of next few weeks will look like for them? Yeah I mean it's such an individual Thing and it really varies from person to person but overall when, when we give that news in the clinic that unfortunately the pregnancy is not continuing and and we've confirmed that it's a miscarriage at that stage often what we'll ask is whether they want us to go through what the options are in terms of how to manage things sometimes people don't want to talk about it at that stage which is absolutely fine you know yeah. you don't have to make any decisions at that point sometimes just absorbing that that news and that information and you just want to leave the department that is a completely normal way to feel as well and you know and that's fine if, if that's the case then we always give you our telephone numbers and say get back in touch when you're ready come back and see us and we'll go through things then but if, if at that point we are discussing you know what the options are then I mean essentially just broadly there are three options that women can choose as to sort of what they want to do for their miscarriage they will vary slightly depending on the stage of your okay. pregnancy so like how far gone you are whether there's any other risk factors as well like your medical conditions and things like that that might influence one over the other but if I'm just sort of speaking broadly about those the three different options so one would be what we call expected management so you let nature take its course it's watching and waiting a lot of the times if the bleeding has already begun it's a sign that you know the body's recognized that things are not developing as they should be and it's it's its own way of of treating the miscarriage essentially so if you decide that you know you want to just watch and wait we normally give you a sort of a two-week window period to see 
if everything happens in that stage. So normally what we explain is that there'll be heavy bleeding. So the way we often quantify bleeding is related to a period. So, you know, it will be heavier than what a period is like. So if you ever feel unwell, you just can't cope with that amount of bleeding, come into the hospital, we'll look after you. So, you know, don't feel like you have to go through it at home because it is quite scary mm. to see that at home, not just for you, but also for your family that may be around you or friends or anyone who's who may be supporting you through it. Or if you may not have anyone to support you through it at home as well, then, you know, if you need to be in hospital, come in, don't be by yourself. What about pain relief for that? Because, you know, you can get really bad cramps right absolutely and and, you know sometimes it's more than just cramps it can be really severe pain where you know people are are doubled over so we always say you can take whatever painkillers you've got at home and what works for you normally Uh things like paracetamol is fine ibuprofen if you have something like codeine that works for you but it can make you feel a bit sick and a bit drowsy you can take that but obviously you know there's a maximum dose of each tablet that you can Mm. take so if you're if it's just not touching anything and it's really not working again that's a sign of that you probably should come into the hospital so you know we can just check you over and see whether you need actually stronger painkillers in hospital if you're not able to sort of manage with that the other thing that I always say is actually start taking the painkillers before the pain gets really bad so the minute you start feeling any kind of cramping some niggles those sorts of symptoms is when you probably should take some painkillers maybe take paracetamol and then as the pain potentially gets more intense you can then take say ibuprofen if you're able to take it or the next dose of paracetamol if it's time to take the next dose don't wait until it's really bad and then start taking the painkillers because it just takes time for it to sort of you know to get on top of things and so if somebody isn't going to let it run its course and do it the natural way some people may not want that option what is the other option is it a surgical approach then there are two other options one is medication so it's called medical management so that's where we give you tablets to essentially just start things off start the whole process off but Mm -hmm. the symptoms and the the things that you'll experience are the same as if you were just watching and waiting so in terms of the pain the bleeding it's not intensified by taking a pill the, the pain much. so okay. it may just come on more quickly whereas if you're waiting for nature to take its course yes you know there might be a slight gradual build up and then it cut and then it sort of it starts whereas with the tablets you may not really have many symptoms and then all of a sudden you start bleeding or sometimes you don't get really get much bleeding at all in which case you have to have another dose or you have to have another sort of type of treatment for it so yeah. It doesn't always work, but it is an option that, you know, that is definitely available. And then the third option is to have a surgical procedure. So lots of hospitals will either do it with you. You can be awake if you really don't want a general anaesthetic. We can do these things awake. Um, we give some local anaesthetic to numb the cervix. And there's usually several people in the room. So you have, you know, the person who's doing the procedure, you should have somebody scanning at the same time as well. And usually another sort of like a healthcare assistant or somebody there just, you know, as a support, like come and hold your mm-hmm. hand. So that's one option. Or the other option is to be asleep and have a general anaesthetic and essentially have a, it's a suction procedure. So same as the one that when you're awake as well. Um, and we use sort of very small suction tubes just to clean everything out inside. I wanted to know when, you know, people that have miscarried or are miscarrying, they may want to try for a baby quite quickly after. When can you try for another baby? 
our advice normally is just to wait to have one period and then you can start trying again but really you should start trying you know when you feel emotionally and physically ready as mm. well so the bare minimum we say is like wait for a normal period just because your ovulation might be sort of a little bit out of sync as what it may normally so you might ovulate a bit later or a bit earlier than than you would normally but it also gives us a chance to figure out roughly how many weeks you might be if you've had one normal period and then you get pregnant again and actually all the evidence out there says that you're quite fertile after a miscarriage so you know there's no reason you know before people say oh you wait six months that, that you don't need to if you feel physically ready emotionally ready and, and you want to try I would always say just wait for your period and then start trying again make sure you're taking your folic acid and all your prenatal vitamins as well you know i often say like there's no reason to stop them you can just mm -hmm. carry on they've got all the vitamins that you need anyway so it's a good supplement to take anyway so just carry on taking those and then when you feel ready you can start trying again thank you so much for joining us on is it normal thank you for informing us all about different areas of miscarriage i think it'll be really really helpful for all our listeners listening to this episode thank you no thank you So now we are going to speak to my best mate, Alice, who has had quite the journey in conceiving and miscarriages. And so it felt only right to invite her in to have this conversation, which is going to be hard, I think, for people to listen to, but also hopefully optimistic and that there has been some really amazing outcomes. Alice, thank you for joining us on Is It Normal? Thank you, Jess. Um, <laughs> we've talked about having babies since we were teenagers we've yeah. just it's been an obsession of ours mm -hmm. right and I had a baby before you I had mm -hmm. my first before you and then can you tell us about when you started trying and what that process was like for you I think it, the, the point you make at the beginning is actually really is part of the story in that I never for one minute thought that I would have a problem conceiving and whether that's like really naive or smug or what, but I just didn't think it would be an issue for well, me. Your mum has five children. Yep, I'm one of five kids. <laughs> and I, I don't know, I just think, and it was the same when I finally did have a baby, just, you know, spoiler alert, I have got a child, um, that when they were talking about cesareans and things like that, I just thought, oh, it's not going to be me. I'm going to be one of those earth mothers who just, you know, pushes her out in like a few pops. But it just, it was not easy for me from the beginning. So I actually, I got pregnant really quickly when I first started trying and we were so excited. Mm. And then within probably about a week, I started bleeding and I went to the early pregnancy unit and they couldn't see anything but it was quite early so they weren't sure and then by the end of that week it was much heavier bleeding mm. and I, I was miscarrying and to be completely honest in a sense it wasn't the most traumatic thing mm. it was a miscarriage in the way that sometimes they're described as kind of a heavy period mm. and because I was so early in the journey of trying it was actually I don't know I felt positive that I got pregnant mm. I felt like I was in the gang of people getting pregnant and yeah. doing this like grown-up thing and I wasn't in pain and it was so early on mm. that it just didn't feel um I wasn't gutted I was really like sad and disappointed yeah. but I was okay so that was the first miscarriage and then I had a really long period of trying and trying and trying how, how and trying long? so that was 18 months from when you last conceived? Yeah. Okay. So by that stage, we'd started to have tests about what was going wrong, whether there was something wrong with 
my husband or I, mm. and anybody who's been through infertility and trying for a baby, it is the most difficult and crushing disappointment every month. Mm. You'd think maybe you'd get used to it, um, but you don't. And every month there's hope and every month there's excitement. And then every month, you know, you get to the point where your period comes and you feel angry and that it's unfair and that everybody else is pregnant and everybody always is pregnant when you're trying um but we carried on and you know that was it's tough on your relationship as well like it somebody once said to me during it oh it, it hits you really hard at the place where relationships usually find solace so like you know intimacy and sex and all of that Mm. stuff is usually the place where when it's really hard you stakes are high yeah it's stressful yeah and when that's taken away from you as a kind of comfort or a um a making up thing or whatever that's really tricky and really difficult so anyway we had this 18 months of difficulty did you miscarry within those 18 months no no miscarriages no pregnancies just didn't get pregnant as far as i know did the tests tell you anything No, we had this unexplained. uh, So every test came back completely normal. And we were just basically playing a waiting game because once you get to two years, then you are eligible for fertility treatment. In the UK? Um, That's how it is in the UK. So, you know, you start the ball rolling at one year, you start having all the tests just to see what might be going on. And then, then you kind of are waiting. So I... I strangely hadn't given up hope that I would get pregnant, I think because of that early pregnancy that didn't work out. And then this one day, my period was due and it was so regular and it didn't arrive. And I thought, oh my God, this actually happened. I'm so like gobsmacked. Mm -hmm. So then the next day went along, no period, no period, no period. Then a little bit of spotting and that went away. I was like, oh my God, I'm pregnant. And then... I took a test and I was pregnant, Mm. couldn't believe it. Mm. And this had been now like 10 days since my period was late. And then unfortunately, a couple of weeks later, I started to spot again. And this time it developed and it was completely different to the first Mm. miscarriage. So, well, firstly, it was incredibly painful. Now that I've gone through labor, that's how it felt so it was like that kind of band of contraction Mm. around your body Mm. and the bleeding was really heavy and to be honest the worst bit was the emotional side of it because Mm. it wasn't like when I'd only been trying for four weeks it was I've been trying for now nearly two years Mm. and I was just like completely crushed couldn't believe the luck of having another one, you know, having all that time in between and then I get pregnant and then it's another one. And I was just, I'm absolutely devastated. And I'm really keen to highlight the difference between the two miscarriages just because I think sometimes you feel when you've had early miscarriages, particularly like they're not valid or that they're, they're not quite as bad as, you know, awful miscarriages when you, you miscarry much later. But actually, I think it's much more to do with where you are in your life and what the situation is. So two miscarriages at not massively different times in the pregnancy were physically completely different. Mm. And they are, they're full on physically, but also just emotionally and mentally were totally different. Anyway, fast forward, that happened and that was really, really tough. And in the meantime, I got pregnant with my second. Yes. And I have to say, you 
never showed any resentment and I'm sure it was hard. I felt uncomfortable telling you, I felt very guilty and it's, this is not my story, but I just want to ask you about, you know, you talked about friends getting pregnant around you. Mm. How hard was that for you and how people spoke to you? How did that make you feel? And was there, did you feel there was a tone that people were giving you, an apologetic tone I mean, how yeah. how did it feel for you? Because you were trying, you were still trying. Yeah, it's really, really hard because someone very close to me is going through it at the moment and I am currently pregnant. So I, I've... This is I your second. I, this yeah. is my second, yeah. And I had to tell this person who's very close to me that I was pregnant. And I decided to, which is not the way we normally communicate, to do it via message, right. via WhatsApp or text or whatever it was. Um, Why? because of that exact thing you're talking about that there's something in being told face to face where you have to arrange your face Mm. and so you get the news and all you want is to be pleased for someone because you are essentially you are pleased you love them you're pleased for them you don't begrudge them and it's not your journey their life isn't your life however you can't help but feel the kind of lump and the Mm. feeling of like Mm. when is it going to be me So I don't know if anybody is in that position. I I mean, different people will have different ways they want to deal with it. But I would have rather heard, I think, via message. So Mm. I could just collect my thoughts, Mm. start to feel excited for the person and then be able to deal with it once I kind of processed it myself. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I mean, this is when we're talking about you trying to conceive. Mm. Is there any way that people should speak to you 
when you've had a, a pregnancy loss because I can understand that you know for people that haven't experienced that mm. ever that tone and nuance and sensitivity is really important mm. you know what are some of the things that people shouldn't say to you or you didn't particularly appreciate when you'd suffered losses well uh yeah so I mean at least you can know you can get pregnant is a really um not useful one yeah okay um because it just it's not the point and that second miscarriage particularly I had made a, a relationship with that baby yeah. embryo fetus whatever yeah. whatever you want to call it and so I I found those kind of comments really difficult I think the whole language around it is interesting and there's lots of discussions about what the right words are and and some people prefer pregnancy loss mm. some people prefer baby loss so mm. they identify the baby yeah. as a baby um, and then miscarriage I actually don't mind miscarriage but I know some people feel it sounds a bit sort of careless mm. like you sort of miscarried it and just dropped it kind of thing mm. and another thing I think is that it's not a one-off I think sometimes when you say I've had a miscarriage, it sounds like you went to the toilet and like plop, then it's done. And actually it's a really quite a long process. And obviously the hormones in your body stay a long time. Some people, if they have a miscarriage later on, have all the things that you would have after, after labor. So they have all those kind of hormonal shifts, the hair coming out and things like that, mm. that you just don't even really, you don't think about when you just think, oh, it's, it's finished, it's done. Um, and they can go on for quite a long time, right? Totally. I mean, how long did your mis your second miscarriage The second miscarriage was a good few weeks of, of just constant bleeding reminder. and reminding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Constant reminder. And there are some instances where you have to have, you know, surgical help to fully get rid of everything because it's yes there's a lot that's gone on in there in that short time is that a dnc yeah yeah did you have a, a procedure like that i didn't have a procedure like that I w i've been fortunate within the unfortunateness um to always have had miscarriages that have kind of completed by themselves I do know friends who have had that and i think it's really from what i've heard from them it's really important to um, fully research all the different ways that you can be helped in that way because it's quite it can be quite surgical how many weeks pregnant were you for the first loss so the first loss I was about five weeks pregnant okay yeah second loss I think about seven weeks pregnant right yeah so I mean not a huge difference between and yet the the That's gulf so between much, the experience yeah, yeah was huge so what happened you kept on trying so that after the second miscarriage we had I mean when I say took a break I was trying for a baby and I was obsessed right. by this stage so, and what does that entail like your obsession was it apps, oh my god googling everything discharge literally like speck of blood in discharge on day 33 of cycle pregnant question mark you know like mm -hmm. just everything toe sore when I got out of the bath pregnant question mark and you can find something for everything mm. as well so it's great mm. it's great comfort <laughs> <laughs> no I really like didn't it, I should have really been much more disciplined about googling but I wasn't but yeah obsessed just it completely consumed my everyday thoughts I couldn't think about anything else how did that affect your relationship it was really really tough because because also my husband really wanted a baby as well so mm. and I think sometimes they're a bit sidelined in the experience but as I said before, like I, I think just the way it affects your relationship is it takes a lot of joy out of 
intimacy and Mm. and all the things that you might enjoy together it really takes that away and even when you like go away for a break or something you know like your husband knows that you've booked it for the exact days of the like (laughs) you know so it's quite it's yeah it's it's tricky the whole trying for a baby is is a real I think if if it doesn't work for you easily it's a real trauma and really difficult so did you get to the two-year mark yeah got to two years without a live baby yeah yeah and then my IVF came through for my first round first and only round on the NHS Um, yes can you explain or clarify as much as you can Mm. am I right in thinking different boroughs have different allowances of how many times you can try so the nice guidelines are that there should be three rounds right but due to funding and choices of funding and what people want to spend the money on within different hospitals different boroughs have different amounts so my borough had one round on the NHS thank goodness I didn't know that this is the kind of thing that you're not told when yeah (laughs) it's really crazy like I I Why, would, thank goodness, that you didn't know this? Because you think you would have been more stressed out? I would have I would have approached the IVF as an all or nothing. And I don't earn loads of money. So paying for the next round would be really, really tricky. How much are we talking? Um, well, it depends on where you go. But I think between five and ten thousand pounds per round and five is quite low but you found a charity through listening to a podcast yeah through listening to big fat negative podcast which is a great podcast if you're going through infertility I listened to a woman who ran a really great fertility clinic called Create and she was just really inspiring she wanted to do things really naturally and she'd set up a sideline clinic which was sort of shoe I think they call it like one size fits all shoe box medicine or something where basically they can do it more affordably because they offer every patient the same thing so if you have any complications or specific things that you would need within your round of IVF you wouldn't be eligible but if you were kind of bog standard don't know why you can't get pregnant but you can't then you could you would fit it and so that was an option once our round of IVF hadn't worked did you do IVF or did you do the uh, there's two forms yeah I did so there's IVF and there's ICSI and there's IUI so IUI is when you have the sperm basically inseminated into your womb and then it's like a natural process but you might have had your eggs pumped up a little bit or your egg pumped up a little bit when you say eggs pumped up that this is you taking hormones and injecting yourself every day yeah so I had IVF where yeah you basically take injections every day to pump up your eggs and to get as many eggs as possible and then you take another drug to stop you ovulating because you don't want to ovulate until they're ready and then you take another drug to trigger the ovulation when they've looked and scanned and they think it looks ready yeah, you get another injection. And you're doing all of this at home with yeah. the guidance of the nurses. But this they... is you doing it all. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's, it, do you know what? It, it's quite full on. But when you're sort of at what feels like the end of a journey, even though it's actually the beginning of another one, but when you're at the end of a journey like infertility, there's so much excitement that's built up in IVF. There's nerves and there's worry and injecting yourself isn't very nice. And I got this thing called kissing ovaries, where basically my ovaries got so big that they touched each other. I mean, that's um, a nice way of putting it, yeah, I guess. I but it felt like I had a football in my stomach. It was so really, it's, not, it's not a good thing. I mean, I think it just, it sometimes happens anatomically. Un- they get really big, but it was really uncomfortable. Yeah. Anyway, the round went well. I got 11 eggs or something like that. 
and we were buzzing and then lots of them got fertilized when they went in the little petri dish with the sperm so that Mm. was great buzzing and then we had transfer day and by transfer day we probably had one that was good the others they were going to watch but probably wouldn't be good enough to freeze so having gone from having quite a lot of hope you're starting to dwindle a little bit but you've got the one yeah and uh, for anyone who's been through that process of transferring it's the most amazing thing because you watch what no one else can watch so there's real positives to it like you watch the fertilized thing go in with this sort of solution they sort of squirt it through a tube and you watch it go into your womb you can see this like shooting star of you see um, this baby yeah yeah potential baby potential baby inside you that you've created and had a little help yeah amazing so what happened with so then you sort of it's a bit weird because you have it squirted in and then you sort of get up and go and it feels a bit weird like it so might you're like am i pregnant or or... <laughs> yeah <laughs> and am i pregnant like what is going on and you need a wee so much before the procedure you have to have the fullest bladder so you go for a wee and you think oh my god imagine if it's just coming oh, like, oh, oh my god. god so you're just panicking basically <laughs> and then you've got this two-week wait where you're waiting to see if it worked and that is now sort of heading towards probably the lowest day of my whole this whole journey was the day when I took the pregnancy test and it was negative. I was just like, oh my God, I cannot believe it hasn't worked. And you say all the right things. You say like, oh, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Mm. But when it didn't work, I was just, I I remember throwing the pregnancy test across the room and just being like, I can't deal with any more disappointment. Mm. And then you do deal with it, obviously. (laughs) You just sort of carry on that felt like a loss it did it feel the same Mm. as a miscarriage in some ways it felt emotionally very similar yeah it really was actually very similar physically it wasn't because there wasn't any of the kind of side effects or pain at that stage but emotionally it did feel like that you must have just been so tired so fed up and tired and also then I found out that it was only one round so Right. Although I'm glad I didn't know before, mm. then the after effects, that was like, well, so we looked into moving to Camden where they do three rounds mm. and looked into loads of different things, looked into moving back to where my husband's from because they have more rounds there. Uh, we looked at everything and we gave ourselves, you know, a month and a half off. How was your relationship at this time after the IVF? Do you know IVF? what? It was actually a really nice point because I think both of us were so sad and actually we were really good support to each other and we were so disappointed we just totally got where each other were Mm. and so that felt that felt really good what I would say is that I didn't share it with people until it was over Mm. um obviously I shared it with you Mm. um and a few close friends but I didn't share it with family because I found the expectation too much um too much pressure too much pressure but now looking back I think I probably would have shared it more similarly with pregnancy before 12 weeks. I think there's, I can see why it's a recommendation not to share before 12 weeks because it may not work out, but then actually when it doesn't work out, you want those people around you. So it's a, it's a strange thing. I remember I really just wanted my mum when the IVF didn't work in a kind of really like primal way. So we gave ourselves a month off while, you know, had a period and everything. And then the next month, I think we sort of tried, but we were a bit like, we're going to wait to have this second round at this clinic that we'd found that was affordable. Really excited about that so we can chill a bit. And 
would you believe I got pregnant that month, literally the cycle after the failed IVF. Is and that that's quite my near common? Well, anecdotally, it is. Right, okay. So I don't know what, I don't know what the stats are. I don't know whether it's something that's a, a really true thing or whether it's just that when it happens to people, they obviously talk about it because yeah. it's amazing. But I must say, I spent the whole of my teens and 20s being told, don't get pregnant. You'll get pregnant at the drop of a hat. Make sure you use this. Make mm. sure you use that. Make sure you use And then all of a sudden, you try and get pregnant and it's sometimes not that easy for you. And that makes sense to me. Like maybe your body just has been told for so long not to do the thing that it naturally does that then it's just not, it's not able to do it. So I wonder whether something about the IVF process that's, you know, sort of mimicking pregnancy maybe that's that helped I don't know I or maybe with the relaxation I don't know the giving up <laughs> so you now have Nancy mm-hmm. who's going to be two in April yeah and you're pregnant again yes 18 and a half weeks yeah that was also natural, natural. yeah so I guess if you could say one thing to the listeners that mm. you know many people will be listening we, you know we've covered conceiving uh, IVF we've covered two very different miscarriages mm. pregnancy loss after an IVF attempt and then naturally conceived there's a lot in mm. here but for people that may be listening to this and have been trying or have just had a miscarriage is there advice that you were given what what advice can you give is there any advice that you can give because everyone's so different I don't know yeah I don't know I don't know for me it made me feel positive to feel I was on my own road And that thing of not comparing myself to other people Mm. and not adding that pressure in as well as all the other pressures. I can't understand the kind of medicine around why it's now been very, you know, this last pregnancy was really straightforward for me. I did actually have a cheeky miscarriage in between Nancy (laughs) and this one. I was so surprised I was pregnant. Uh, You know, she was only nine months old. And then it was a very, very soon afterwards I, I started bleeding. But what I would say is, is if you have had miscarriages and you are now pregnant, it's really worth looking at like the nice guidelines and things like that. Because I looked into um, this new guideline about progesterone. And when I started having spotting with this current pregnancy, I went to the early pregnancy unit and they did give me progesterone. You suggested it, didn't I you? I asked for it, yeah, because... It's quite n- new on the nice guy. Yeah, they've said they want anybody who's had one miscarriage before, if they experience bleeding in early pregnancy, then it can be beneficial for them to take progesterone. And some of the hospitals aren't doing it yet, but guys in St. Thomas's were brilliant and they said, listen, we're not doing it as kind of rote now, but because you've mentioned it and because you are one of those people we're really keen to follow the nice guidelines so whether that's helped with this pregnancy I don't know I can't tell how has pregnancy been for you after suffering so many losses how has it affected you being pregnant has it made you incredibly nervous Mm. are those first 12 weeks excruciating (laughs) or does it carry on because you are constant I don't know I think it's both I think I have massively enjoyed loads of pregnancy because I'm so delighted to be pregnant Mm. like so buzzing about it and so that's one thing and that's the positive thing the other side of it is the knicker watching is like insane I'm sure it is for anyone who's Mm. pregnant but I have spotting when I was pregnant with Nancy and with this one I've had bleeding where I've had to go to the hospital to check it out and everything and so 
you just are completely obsessed with every twinge, every pain, every, all of that. And so trying to find ways to kind of be mindful about that has been really, really hard. And I do struggle, I struggle with that now. Like I still am panicking. As soon as something goes slightly wrong, I think, oh my God, this is it. This is the end. This is, yeah. And I start to kind of envisage the worst situation. Whereas maybe if you haven't had one, you don't expect it so much. And people don't know Alice, and you may have got a good gauge about the kind of person, she's the best person ever, but um, she's also (laughs) one of the most optimistic, (laughs) relaxed people that I know. So for you to have this, this is very uncharacteristic, isn't it? Totally. I I think that's the massive thing about it. Like it has such a consuming, well, Mm. when you're pregnant, you're so consumed with it anyway, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so sides of me that I didn't know were there, bits of anxiety. And I think it's so normal to be anxious about a pregnancy when you've had a pregnancy loss. I just think, of course, it makes complete sense. You don't trust your body in the way that you might trust your body if it's been straightforward from the beginning. You just constantly think maybe there's going to be a something scuppered. But having said that, once I had the early scan and there was a heartbeat, that was a massive reassurance. Mm. I then had obviously the 12-week scan and again, it was a massive reassurance. And then even when I've had little complications of bits of bleeding, it's so incredibly lucky that we have day assessment units and mm. early pregnancy mm. units that we can just turn up at. Yeah. They do all the tests. It's incredible. And then, you know, on the whole once you've got to a certain point, it's incredibly rare for you to lose the baby. And so you start to feel more confident Mm. and you start to enjoy the side of it that's just great. I must say, like being pregnant when you've had miscarriage, every time you feel sick or tired or stuff, you're like, yes, (laughs) love it. Because you feel like that's telling you that you're still pregnant. Um, Lastly, Mm -hmm. before I let you go back to Nancy, um, (laughs) for any partners or friends who are listening to this, is there any advice you would give to them with how one can support somebody that is suffering a loss or trying to conceive and not? I think something I found really comforting with my husband was that he was genuinely interested in the whole process or at least he humored me and would like look into you know how the whole fertility stuff worked really really like watched you know documentaries with me listened to podcasts with me he was just really really good at kind of embracing what was consuming me at that time Mm. because otherwise you can get in a bit of a rabbit hole by yourself Mm. so I think talking and asking and and I think post miscarriage just asking how people are Mm. a few weeks down the line Mm. a few months down the line like how are you feeling because obviously when you lose a pregnancy you had a due date kind of thing so there's a whole period up to there where you think I would have been at this stage or I would have been at that stage so just checking I think just checking in and classic listening you know when somebody wants to talk and I think as well like after the failed IVF I had some therapy that the NHS provided and that was brilliant because they said this comment that I I just thought was so fantastic that what had happened was that my surety in the world had been rocked or whatever Mm. and I think things like pregnancy where you just expect it to be a, a right you know she said once that happens then other things start to feel less sure and once she said that it just made so much sense and I felt so comforted by that so talking to people Mm. if you need to get help get help I think yeah 
I found the support of friends and family with the best tonic and the, and really the, the thing that got me through the whole thing. Thank you, Alice, for talking. Such and a uh, good luck on this pregnancy. You're, you, so you're nearly halfway, Ben. Yeah, I know. I love it. I love being pregnant. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Um, thanks, Ben. Thank you so much to Tejal and Alice for talking to us on this special episode about miscarriage and pregnancy loss. I hope you found that helpful and we will be putting uh, some of those charities mentioned in the show notes. Thank you for listening and sending you all my love. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com